Welcome to episode 155 of the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. Alongside Brian Cristiano, I'm Rob Cressy. So Brian, I really enjoyed the conversation we had with Meg Ryan, Senior Director of Marketing Strategy for the Atlanta Hawks. We dished about how they're the best team to follow on social media per Bleacher Report, fan engagement, growth, and personally to me, I loved talking about how they integrate the Atlanta rap scene. Well, I think, Rob, to me, it's also very interesting that they, she gets and they get that each channel in social, in digital, broadcast, they're all different. They're all different voices. And they're focusing their energy on making sure that everything they're doing is original and native on each channel. So Snapchat isn't the same thing that you're going to get on Instagram. And they understand the value of that. And they're doing a really great job of scaling it. So I, I think she gave away so much in, you know, information, both for teams, marketers, and you know, sports brands. Why don't we just jump in and listen in? I'd like to welcome Meg Ryan, Senior Director, Marketing Strategy for the Atlanta Hawks to the show. And Meg, I've got two things for you right out of the gate. One, I love Dominique Wilkins. I had his poster growing up on my wall as a kid, and I currently have a pair of Dominique Wilkins stance socks. And number two, it wasn't until a year and a half ago that I realized there's actually a hawk in the Atlanta Hawks logo, I only saw Pac-Man. <laughs> That's wonderful. I mean, it's wonderful. We, um, I love the Pac-Man logo, and I'm so glad we brought it back. Yeah, and, and I can't imagine that I'm alone in being the only person who didn't realize there's a hawk in there, especially growing up playing video games. No, I, I love the older logo. It is uh, definitely the inspiration for where we are today, but that's actually one of the reasons we decided to update the logo and make it a little more fierce and a little more confrontational, uh, a little more edge to it. But we absolutely use that as the inspiration for, uh, for where our mark is today. Nice. So in 2015, you guys were the best team to follow on social media per Bleacher Report. You had sharp humor. You guys were witty. Can you tell me a little bit more about your Twitter engagement and how you guys think about that? Absolutely. So I think uh, even starting with engagement, we are obsessed with our fans and we want to make sure that the content we're producing is first true to ourselves and who we are as a brand, but we want to make sure that engagement and our fan engagement is at its um, core. So when we're producing content and when we think about what will resonate in social, we absolutely start with that uh, with the fan first. And we're not going to develop anything that isn't inauthentic. And we're also not going to produce anything that doesn't add value for our fans. So we start there and we feel uh, growth is kind of secondary for us. So engagement is our number one priority. And then if we happen to grow based on some of that content, then we're absolutely happy. But I think by focusing on engagement and making sure that we're producing content that makes sense for our fans, um, that keeps us fresh and it keeps us relevant. Meg, um, I'm curious how, especially since you're focused in on engagement and not so concerned about the audience growth numbers, obviously that comes secondary to engagement naturally. How are you measuring engagement and where are you seeing the highest levels of it? Well, there's a number of things that we track. So data is a huge priority for us. So first and foremost, we look at um, sharing. We look at uh, sentiment on comments. We follow everything from likes to shares um, to retweets, all of that. And 
Uh, we monitor that on a weekly basis and we make sure that we understand all of our content and how it's performing and how we can better cross-promote across different channels. And from an engagement standpoint, it really depends on the time of day and the type of content. So from an overall strategy standpoint, we want to make sure that we're providing content uh, that is appropriate for that given channel or that particular platform. So what we produce for Instagram, as an example, is different than what we would do for, say, Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook. So it really depends on the type of content where we see engagement um, and the type of engagement that we're looking for. But I can say that Instagram and Snapchat are our fastest growing channels. And I think it's because it gives you the behind the scenes um, access that social should give you. And as a sports team, we think that's something we can absolutely provide to the fans is that that behind the scenes, let's follow the players, let's get their, um, you know, the look in their eyes as they're running through the tunnel and uh, all of that content that the average fan cannot get. Well, I think that that's what Rob and I have obviously noticed is that, you know, you over at the Hawks and the entire team in general has really been done a great job about making sure that you're speaking contextually in the different platforms. You're treating Snapchat differently than Facebook and so forth. Um, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you're seeing the biggest and fastest growth on Instagram and Snapchat. I'm curious for two things. Are you seeing, first question is, are you seeing um, a faster growth on one of those channels versus the other? We, uh, hard to say because obviously Snapchat's metrics aren't necessarily where Instagrams are or Facebook or any of the other channels, but just from an overall follower volume, it would definitely be um, Instagram for us. And it does, does the metrics ability or lack thereof on, on Snapchat play any role in how much energy and effort that you're putting into it, or are you putting equal effort into both of those platforms? Uh, equal effort, and again, it really depends on what we are trying to uh, to communicate. So, for example, we have a concert series, and our artists are fantastic about giving us an you know behind the scenes look. And the type of content that we would produce for Snapchat and the type of audience that we know that particular platform reaches is radically different than say Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter. So we have, I wouldn't say necessarily equal focus on all of them, but we do pay attention to the type of content. And depending on the scenario, we will spend more time and effort on one channel over another, but it really is based on the type of content that we're trying to produce. Can you talk about how your sales, marketing, and front office work in parallel to deliver a cohesive experience from start to finish? So that's a great question. Um, People always ask about the, you know, the driveway to driveway conversation that's happening in sports. And that's actually something that, that really bothers me because the fan experience and our approach to the fan experience and that cohesive fan experience is larger than just driveway to driveway. Uh, for us, we realize that if you're thinking driveway to driveway, then you've already, you've already thought about somebody who's purchased a ticket, which sometimes takes sales out of that um, that equation. So for us, we're thinking much broader about our fan base. And so we work very closely with our sales team as well as our corporate partnerships team all the way through to the front office to make sure that, um, that as we look at our fans and looking at the products that they're interacting with and um, what will resonate with them, we do look at clusters and we try and use the data to help guide us. And what our ultimate goal will be is to provide our brand in 
a digestible way for someone in a contextually relevant way. So we would never, for example, uh, we just had a concert with an artist named Lil Yachty, and we would not necessarily put that particular message in front of somebody who doesn't listen to Lil Yachty. But what we would do is we would make sure that our advertising and our ticket plans and promotions align with that particular audience. So everything that we do, uh, we work hand in hand, whether it's developing uh, ticket promotions or if it's even looking at our uh, digital and social content or our mobile strategy, all of those things work together and hand in hand uh, to make sure that fans have a personalized experience that makes sense. And um, and so I think that's our ultimate goal. And so that's how we we really try to align and make sure that our fans are uh, our fans understand our brand and they want to be a part of it. So I know Atlanta has a great rap scene, especially trap rap. You just mentioned Lil Yachty. Can you talk about how you guys work with the local Atlanta rap culture? Because I know it is a big piece of that. And I know there's a large portion of Atlanta Hawks fans. I mean, two chains, he's a Hawks fan. How do you integrate the rap culture into what you guys do? Well, it's actually really easy for us. I mean, Atlanta, to your point, is a hub for music and particularly rap, hip hop, and R&B. And we know that the NBA also is an entertainment culture. I mean, it's not just a sport. Um, our players have proven that it's also a fashion brand. It's also about music. It's all of these things. So for us, um, being true to Atlanta, which is our tagline and really our overall brand mantra, music just naturally um, is a part of the game experience and part of our brand. And um, everything that we do, the artists that we bring to perform at the games, we make sure that they have an Atlanta tie and that they are true to Atlanta. So we have uh, multiple extensions into music. So we have player playlists. Um, so our players will put together their pregame playlists and send them out. Um, that's one way that we do it. We also have those concerts. So we have a concert series uh, where we have usually around six um, or more concerts a year where an artist will come in, perform during halftime, and we partner with local radio stations to make sure that fans have a VIP experience. So there are a number of extensions, but for us, it, it really was a no-brainer, and it's, it's part of our brand, not just as an NBA team, but as a pillar of the Atlanta community. Meg, I'm curious um, how much of what you're talking about now with music and the other artists in Atlanta itself, how much that plays into um, growing a new fan base? Because I think that's one of the interesting things that always comes up when we talk to uh, sports teams is obviously you want to make sure that all of your marketing and your, and your content is placating your, you know, your fans and your super fans, but you also need to get more people to become fans. How, how are you approaching that piece of the market? Well, I think um, having these concerts is, is at the forefront of that. I mean, we are working hand-in-hand hand with artists to make sure that we can leverage their audiences as well to make sure that uh, we have an opportunity to introduce ourselves as, uh, as part of their brand. So, for example, with uh, we had 2 Chainz is a perfect example. He has uh, an audience that definitely overlaps with ours, but he also has a set of uh, fans that aren't necessarily Hawks fans. And we use every opportunity we have with our influencers, whether they're artists, uh, like musicians, or if 
Um, they're just influencers in the Atlanta area. We make sure that from a social standpoint in particular, uh, that we leverage their social followings as well as ours to make sure it's an integrated experience. But what I think you're hitting on is an interesting trend that we're starting to see in the marketplace, which is um, this change in the way fans are consuming our brands holistically, whether it's on TV or it's on mobile. And these cord cutters, as they're often called, are changing the way I think brands need to grow their fan base and reach new fans. And for us, that's why content and making sure that authentic content is at the core of what we're trying to do. And I think in the next couple of years, you'll start to see a larger shift for brands trying to find ways beyond TV and traditional uh, means of communicating with fans. Um, you'll start to see a shift away from some of that, and our focus will will really shift to other areas, whether it's mobile or influencer strategies or using social in a little bit of a different way. So we start becoming the content producers as, a, as well as um, as well as the delivery mechanism for um, for all of this content. So I think as TV starts to shift and radio starts to shift, you'll start to see more brands take the approach that we're starting to take. It's really fascinating that you bring that up because that's one of the things that we talk about all the time on the show is – you know, really, how, how do brands and teams and organizations act essentially almost as their own media company? And it sounds like the Atlanta Hawks uh, are really finding some success there and, and really knowing that as you continue to build the brand. I'm curious, and my last question for you is we have a lot of, you know, we have a lot of marketers and CMOs and everyone in between that, a lot of different teams in all different organizations and leagues um, and different sports. I'm curious what insights or advice you would give to them um, that aren't necessarily looking at it that way and are concerned about people moving away from traditional broadcast in over to digital only? I, I would definitely say that it, it's in the data. I mean, when you're looking at your fans, uh, you know where your fans are, you know where your opportunity is. And the shift doesn't have to be immediate. So I think a lot of times when you start to see a transition in the marketplace, the thought is initially either one, fear, or two, uh, you feel as though you have to be on the front end of that transition. And it's really, your strategy should be guided based on your fan base and how they're shifting either one way or the other. And I don't think there's an exact science to it, but I can say from our experience, we're looking at our fans and how our fans are consuming. And when you start with your fan in mind and you're able to develop that content and you're also able to develop those lines of communication with them or even delivery mechanisms, then the shift doesn't have to be so quick or even so bold. A lot of times it's a gradual shift because TV is here. Um, TV still has wonderful ratings and many people still consume media on TV. So it's definitely not a dying place. Um, neither is radio, and I think it's all about just adapting and understanding your fans and making sure that you're on the forefront of your fans' shift as opposed to um, following the new technology and where the market is pushing you because ultimately your fans will signal when that change needs to happen. Well, awesome, Meg. We really appreciate the insight you gave us. There's a million things I could ask you about, all the cool things that you guys are doing, but we'll save that for another podcast. Uh, where can everybody connect with you guys on social? Uh, you can follow us on uh, ATL Hawk. So 
Um, come find us on all of our channels, but also um, you have Hawks.com where we've also put a lot of our great content. Well, Meg, that's fantastic, and uh, we hope everyone goes and heads over there and sees all the great work that you're doing. We thank you so much for coming on the Sports Marketing Huddle, and uh, we will be in touch with you over, over uh, you know, the season and next season and, and keep an eye on what you guys are doing and innovating over there from a, from a content perspective. That sounds great. Thank you very much. <laughs>